0: It's where you go to bike, hike, and stroll miles of pathways over more than 7,000 acres of parkland. A place to go explore rivers and fish their bountiful waters. Natural places to go marvel at magnificent wildlife while you play outdoors and go wander charming communities. Find all this and more at Destination Downriver. Give it a go.
1: Today's podcast is presented by MarketInsights.us, with the podcast on YouTube produced by the City of Taylor's Media Center. Thank you for the generous support of our community sponsor. When your destination is beyond Downriver, let Martinson Family of Funeral Homes help you and your family. With locations in Trenton, Allen Park, Maybe, Rockwood, and Monroe, their staff is available 24-7 at 734-671-5400. For more information, visit martinson.com. Thank you to our team sponsor, Allegra, Marketing, Print, and Design. Let Allegra assist you with your print, mail, design, and signs. Locate in Wyandotte, Michigan, or call 734-284-5330. Welcome to
2: Destination Downriver. I'm your host, Carl Zimek. Last August, the Downriver Community Conference was awarded a $1.6 million grant from the Economic Development Administration for the Downriver Riverfront Communities Economic Recovery Implementation Project. The purpose of this grant is to help strengthen economic development in the region following the closure of two DTE coal fired power plants along the riverfront, especially in the five communities located between the two plants. River Rouge, Ecorse, Wyandotte, Riverview, and Trenton, combined with the Jefferson Street Corridor. The EDA award helped Destination Downriver get the attention of our local NBC affiliate, WDIV, who ran a report underscoring the importance of this issue. This project offers technical assistance and matching grant funds for small businesses that were negatively impacted by the closure of the two power plants or the coronavirus epidemic. This program is being operated by the University of Michigan's Economic Growth Institute in partnership with the DCC Economic Development Department. The DCC has developed a strategy for brownfield sites along the Detroit Riverfront corridor stretching between the two plants. This strategy will will reduce uncertainty in these sites and heighten redevelopment possibilities. Okay, back with us today on Destination Downriver, our panelists, Jasmine Dancy, uh, Economic Development Administrator for the Downriver Community Conference, I got that right, uh, and John Diadona, the Brownfield Program Manager, who obviously, when we're talking about what we're talking about here, has his work cut out for him, correct? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jasmine, uh, you, before you went to the DCC, you were in Romulus. If
0: That's I'm not correct. Mistaken. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about your background. Sure. So I've been with the DCC just uh, just less than a year now. Mm-hmm. I started last December. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, um, I did a little bit of time with the Greater Romulus Chamber of Commerce. There is okay. executive director, and then prior to that, I was with the City of Romulus for seven years, mm-hmm. um, doing community and economic development and communications. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have my bachelor's and master's degrees in environmental sustainability.
2: Oh, really? From where?
0: Um, my bachelor's from Bowling Green State and master's okay.
2: from U of M Ann Arbor. Oh, okay, very good. Yeah. My wife go uh, <laughs> has her MDA from Bowling Green. Oh, yeah! Uh, so nice. yeah, There we go. Yes. Uh, John, what about your background? Tell yeah, us
3: well, I've been story. a consultant for about 45 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the Brownfield program manager now for three years, was originally a consultant to DCC mm-hmm. uh, from about 2007 up till when I started as a Brownfield program manager. Mm-hmm uh graduate from the university of michigan with two engineering degrees um and been in the brownfield program since its inception in the uh mid-1990s
2: fantastic well let's just jump in at the deep end and you guys can just answer as i as i throw these questions out let's start with the main goals that have been laid out for this major initiative along the riverfront between those two uh, dte plants that are going down uh talked about create uh and uh create and staff a regional economic development office. I'm gonna have you address that, Jasmine. The, the DCC's always been that gigantic uh, government support group down downriver. Yeah. Uh, how does that fit into your job here in staffing and staffing it and creating this department?
0: Sure. Just a, a little bit of background, as you mentioned, Carl. Yeah, the DCC has actually been around since the late 1960s. It is the oldest interlocal agreement in the state of Michigan, actually, and it started through Downriver Mutual Aid, um, and then another 10 or so years later, it evolved into the Downriver Community Conference. Um, and actually had uh, you know economic development as one of its primary goals in the early days, um, and then just over the years, uh, you know funding changes and things, um, the ec- the true economic development role um, and department. Really morphed into concentrating more in, in John's program, the brownfield. Um, so we didn't have um, an economic development department at the DCC, um, you know, very recently at all. Mm-hmm. So we were able to qualify for this grant um, through the Economic Development Administration um, because of those two coal-fired power plant closures, mm-hmm. um, and qualified for uh, a close to two million dollar grant, mm-hmm. um, which we received last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that allowed us to then create this regional economic development office. And um, we're really just trying to serve as like an intermediary on behalf of our communities. Um, Again, it's focused on the five riverfront communities of River Rouge, Ecorse, Wyandotte, Riverview, and Trenton. So that five community stretch. Um, but most of the communities that we work with don't have a dedicated economic development um, director mm-hmm. on staff. Okay. So we're trying to help fill that role and for those that do, the couple that do, um, we're, we're still supporting them and advocating for them on a, on a regional level.
2: Uh, John, the uh, developing a strategy for brownfield uh, development sites like this can be sure. very very challenging. Can you address that? Yeah, it, it
3: can be challenging. I think we've had a, a very um, successful brownfield program since 1997, mm-hmm. and so we developed a process where developers and communities could bring sites to us, but they, it's been limited. We're kind of in mm-hmm. a reactive mode where we have to wait for the projects to come to us. So one of the uh, thoughts we had with this EDA grant was to make this more of a proactive process and look at Holistically a little bit more in communities rather than one site at a time like a gas station site or a coffee shop or something like that those those are all important but we looked at this as an opportunity to do some real deep dive planning to how we can catalyze some of these areas in these larger sites perhaps to get them more site ready for developers because they're so um, they're intimidating to developers. There's there's risks involved. There's time involved, and those are things that you know developers don't like uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get through some of those uh, narrow issues uh, in terms of those risks and and timelines to make it make developers want to look at these properties on a on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So it is a little more challenging. The sites are larger. Um, there's more people involved uh, in terms of get, it's a community-driven process, so um, it, it's a, it's it's a challenging um, opportunity, but a very worthy opportunity.
2: Is it more intimidating to the possible developer looking at the site, or to the city that may not have the resources to really do what? It yeah, I
3: think done? it's 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 in, it's intimidating to the cities and mm-hmm. communities, but it's also. Um, we're trying to get other agencies within the state and federal government to look at these areas, which they haven't in the past. I mean, these brownfield sites are, are way down the list for redevelopment. And so how do we get bring these up so that they at least get a sniff from somebody mm-hmm. and, and close that gap, the time gap, the uncertainty gap, the risk gap, so that you know,
2: these can be available. So you're playing connect the dot here? Yeah, <laughs> trying we'll to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean,
0: yeah. to John's point, if you look at the landscape of Downriver, we are rich in brownfields, you yeah. know, so it really, yeah. um, we, we're trying to um, really, you know, make the case to take advantage of this uh-huh. um, and, yeah, you know, make the case for the developers, but also, um, yeah, like, like John said, the other, you know, state and other uh, entities that are, you know, incentivizing these yeah. developments to look. Uh, you know, look in this area um, and, and not necessarily, you know, c- they, c- they don't compare to the open green fields, right. you know, yeah. old farmlands and things, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's totally different. Uh, but I think where we do have the advantage is that we, we have infrastructure in place. We have a, a rich um, workforce lo- mm-hmm. locally, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not like plopping something out in the middle of nowhere. We have these other support systems here that can be worthy of development. We just need a little bit of help.
2: Uh, tell us about the small business technical assistance program because that that kind of rings like that's something that's needed.
0: Definitely. So yeah, that's uh, the third one of the, the third component to this grant that we're working on is the creation of a small business technical assistance program. And for the first phase of that program, we've been partnering with the University of Michigan Economic Growth Institute. Mm-hmm. So they've been the primary uh, you know leader on that. That they're we've assisted them with doing um, community outreach along the riverfront, you know, knocking doors, actually going and speaking with business owners, Mm -hmm. doing assessments, uh, detailed assessments, actually, um, to, you know, review their financials and operations and and see how, um, you know, what is going to be of most benefit to their Mm -hmm. businesses. And um, so what we've done with uh, EGI's help is we've found 15 local businesses um, along, you know, throughout the, the five community corridor. And um, you know, they've gone through that assessment and they've uh, actually identified projects that they want to move forward with, uh, with, ma- with matching grant funds. So right. each of these businesses is going to receive a $10,000 grant. Mm-hmm. Um, they put in a small amount of match and then the university helps them uh, go and solicit uh, a very qualified um, consultant to help them with that project um, that's been vetted and uh, you know gone through all the checks and balances so um, it can't go towards like actual equipment purchases but uh, a lot of people are are taking advantage of like creating a new website or Mm -hmm. learning how to do e-commerce or Mm -hmm. other uh, you know marketing or financial services that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. um, that's in the process right now we've found all 15 uh, qualifying business owners Mm -hmm. um, and found a lot of others in the process that maybe are just at different stages um, for the for their needs but the 15 that are in the program for the Mm -hmm. grant are all now um, going and soliciting their, their consultants and the projects will all be complete at the end of January Okay. and through this process there's been you know privacy and, and non-disclosures so uh, you know we're not sharing a lot of the details but once the all the projects are complete we're look, really looking forward to maybe coming back here or doing mm-hmm. some other press on you know the outcomes and what these businesses have actually you know shown to be of benefit and improve their businesses through this opportunity.
2: When you look at your uh, overall performance thus far as a economic development driver. Okay. Uh, uh, can you put a percentage? How's your progress? What, 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 how are you progressing along? Is it hard to, to put a, hey, we're at 10% of the 100% we want to get to, or we're at 20%, or are you even thinking in those terms?
0: yeah I think that's a great question and it's one that we've been really talking a lot about in the office actually is you know what metrics are we going to be using to to track our progress really because like like I said it's we're coming up on just about a year of this grant um, so far and uh, the the difficult thing with uh, metrics that we're finding is that economic development takes the takes a long time you know it's not like um, we're going to be bringing in businesses, you know, one after the other immediately. You know, it takes time to, to build the, you know, the structures and the assistance and bring in the partners to really, uh, you know, get, get a whole, to be able to see the results, you know, to the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, but the important thing is that we are here and that we are, you know, getting people around the table. So that's the, that's the most important thing that I've seen in this role is the ability to To look regionally, Mm -hmm. um, that you are not just uh, you know when you're in local government and like my background, Mm -hmm. you know you're really just working on the nitty gritty. You've got your blinders on, trying to make the best of your budget um, for the taxpayers, and it's hard to find partners that way or you know look to your neighbors and you know be strategic. But at our at our level, we're just you know one step above where we're trying to make a whole corridor an impact and I think um, that you know we've been able to get big groups of people many stakeholders and partners all around the same table Mm -hmm. talking about issues that have been going on for generations so to me that's where we're starting to make progress is the partnerships that we're bringing in the new resources that we're bringing to Mm -hmm. downriver its residents and small business owners
2: when john when you look at these brownfield sites uh in that in those areas brownfield sites often there's a range (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you know you can you know you look at this site and you can do almost yeah. anything with yeah. it you look at that site and you can do this with it <laughs> right. period right. okay right. I mean it reminds me of something like the Dot golf course yeah. okay mm-hmm. right. where they really couldn't do much besides cap it it turned yeah. out to be a wonderful project yeah. but yeah. uh, what do you see down there in terms of that Do you do you see a lot of huge restrictions well
3: I think a lot of it depends on the developers obviously mm-hmm. but um, the, these large brownfield sites have multiple opportunities. I think, that, I think the mistake that a lot of people look at is that there's is always, always have to be a park because mm-hmm. you don't want to do anything and turn up the mm-hmm. skeletons in the soil, yeah. or it should be all industry because we need the jobs and you know mm-hmm. this tax base. Mm-hmm. These sites are not homogenous over the whole area. So parts of these sites are, are dirty, Mm -hmm. parts might be very clean Mm -hmm. and and I think holistically with the way development is going these days is that you need a blend you need you need to to match parts Mm -hmm. of the site maybe it would be industrial but maybe cleaner industrial than we've had in the past Mm -hmm. part might be residential part might be recreational Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a blend on these different sites and I think that that makes it more palatable I think to the communities who, who want access to the river obviously is a is a big thing mm-hmm. but at the same time we do need jobs and tax base you know so I think that you're not gonna see the old days like you're just gonna see one industry on a 200 acre site It's just n- it's not gonna happen you're gonna have maybe uh, ribbon parks going through an industrial mm-hmm. complex or Things like that uh, and I, I see that as being um, uh, more feasible than, mm-hmm. yeah. than just going in one direction where the community wants one thing perhaps mm-hmm. and they, they're really dug in but maybe that's not feasible to make it all one thing and the same thing from the industrial perspective. Maybe it's not feasible to make it all industry. You need to have quality of life, people moving into the communities that also want these jobs. It's, it's, it's going to be a blend.
2: I assume that uh, because there's been a there's been a great desire to kind of ha- for the public to recapture at least portions of that riverfront sure, sure. because forever that riverfront was dominated by heavy industry okay sure, sure. and it was blocked off sure uh, how important is that I mean you mentioned pocket parks and stuff like that yeah but is that is that a really key portion of this?
3: Oh, certainly. I, I, again, quality of life is is very important to people. Um, mm-hmm. And, and getting, gaining access to the riverfront, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great resource. I mean, mm-hmm. in the, in the old days, a lot of times industry took up those properties because they needed access to the water. Mm-hmm. You know, they had shipping coming in, and some of that still might be used for that. But mm-hmm. nowadays, those sites have been so encumbered that people like the power plants, for instance, mm-hmm. nobody's walked on those sites except the workers for you know 50, 75, 100 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get those properties um, more available to, to the public? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's, there'll be ongoing discussions about that as we work with uh, owners of those properties, mm-hmm. developers who want those properties. Um, and most developers on brownfield sites, the ones that have experience, realize that they can't do what was done in the old days because there's so many processes they got to go through zoning planning and if they're looking for brownfield incentives they have to get approvals from the local communities and Mm -hmm. if they're only going to put in what was there in the past Mm -hmm. the public's going to stand up and say we don't want that anymore so they're going to get stymied they may buy a property and then they can't do anything with it so Mm there there's a lot of it's going to be more of a community-driven process than Mm -hmm. it's been in the past where Mm -hmm. the industry has just come in bought everything and done Mm -hmm. what they wanted.
2: Uh, Jasmine Um, go ahead.
0: Oh no I'm just gonna say to that point is that Mm -hmm. our whole this whole grant has been very Mm -hmm. community-oriented you know we have a great Uh, strategy team on board um, that's you know really set our priorities and our whole strategic plan through this process even prior to to receiving the grant Um, and so I feel really good about you know the people that are at the table and you know their their residents their their city administrators and they're really vested in this process Mm -hmm. and um, you know that is what's guiding us you know that's where we get our marching orders from Uh, you know Mm -hmm. through through every step we make sure to have uh, in-depth community engagement uh, as as a piece of that so it really is important
2: is it difficult to get the I'm assuming that the answer to this is no, but is it difficult to get the communities to, to buy into, because uh, Brownfield redevelopment, sure, sure. because they do have to grant, you know, they're not going to take as much tax base from it, right, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Is it, is that difficult to sell or not? It can be, mm-hmm. it can be, but it's, oh.
3: I think when you bring people together and, and pe- when you say like if somebody wants a park there in the community mm-hmm. you have if you don't want a park there you have to say why you don't want a park or why you can't have a park okay. there not just no you can't have a park there
1: mm-hmm.
3: so there's going to be a lot of exchange in this community driven process to for people to voice their opinions and we've got a strategic brownfield team on on board that's going to say we, we like what you're saying, but you might it might not be feasible and here's why not just. You can't do it, but mm-hmm. here's why. So there's going to be that balance of uh, professional mm-hmm. information that's coming in, but mm-hmm. listening from the you know to the community and what they want and desire.
2: Jasmine, is it too is it too much to ask? You've got you've got your group focusing on essentially five communities plus mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. corridor, uh, but you've got 20 communities in the DCC that can also often be a dicey type thing. Are you making efforts to say, hey, we're trying to draw this here, but it's also gonna benefit you, you, and you, okay? And maybe if we put that there, you and you could benefit. Is that part of this process?
0: Yeah, and I think our executive director, Jim Perry, has always known that you know even though we're focused on the five riverfront communities it benefits all of downriver mm-hmm. um, and in metro detroit even you know the the riverfront is such an opportunity and a driver for this region that we know that everyone is going to benefit from that mm-hmm. and um, we we are hearing that you know from other communities outside of the corridor as well you know they know that there's benefit to this um, uh, and we have you know mayor Woolley even is is on sure. one of our other advisory mm-hmm. committees and and is always invested in the process because we know that our our residents are working throughout throughout Downriver you know I mean it's not that you only stay stay in one city so it it really is a a community and regional effort Um, so so I think there's benefit there but we are also in our department making a real effort uh, in realizing that this grant is a three-year timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's an end date for that. And our goal is to use this as kind of a test point and to, or a trial period, if you will, um, and then be able to seek funding in the meantime to then go and expand our services for our economic development office to all 20 in the Downriver River area, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the completion of this grant. That's our goal.
2: It would seem like that would be a logical move. Yeah, yeah. Because there, you know to, to then layer yeah. layer the economic development process <laughs> where <clears throat> you know the DCC and your group would be looking at a wider wider range on a upper level yeah. and then you know then it goes down to even right. communities that don't have uh, economic development offices or or a specialist or anything like that exactly. it would seem like you could tie that yeah. together that yeah.
3: way mm-hmm. better and we're kind of looking for the brownfield <clears throat> program is be, this is kind of a a, a program that we want to replicate throughout mm-hmm. all of DCC. I mean, we're, f- <clears throat> we're focused on five communities right now, but we're already starting to look at the e Creek Drainage uh, mm-hmm. Corridor as, as another opportunity of a corridor. The, the Army Corps has identified many brownfield sites along that mm-hmm. creek mm-hmm. and, 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 and the, drainage, uh, the drainage corridor. So mm-hmm. th- we could easily expand that to the communities that are going east and west out, you know, away from the Detroit River, as well as, you know, just other centers of um, opportunities on brownfields. So this is, mm-hmm. we're looking at this as a replication of a, yeah. of a process that we can use for years to come.
2: Do other entities factor into this, uh, into your conversations? I know we just had the, the uh, The Windsor Detroit Bridge Authority in here talking about the Gordie Hall Bridge. Mm -hmm. A couple months ago, we had John Hart again here talking about economic development, and he was very much, you know, he is an environmentalist at heart, but a lot of his talk was focused on bringing together business right. Right. and that economic, you know, right. a, a, as an economic driver, mm-hmm. but with the environmentalists to, to, so that there would sure. be a share of the riverfront. Sure. Do, yeah. you, do you see that? Is that? Uh, do, you, do you see a lot of Definitely. that going on?
3: I think one of the things w- that we discovered when we went after this EDA grant is there are a lot of other groups that are doing similar things yeah. and mm. there's so much money out there. Yeah. and what we did want to do is we didn't want to duplicate what other people were doing. So we got Mm -hmm. SEMCOG working on uh, climate change and resiliency issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got the Detroit Regional Partnership that's looking at large sites that they want to to, uh, bring redevelopment to. So we're throwing more of the brownfield picture Mm -hmm. into their arena Mm -hmm. a a little bit more. There's so many groups that we didn't even understand and we didn't have those close relationships with mm-hmm. when we went after this grant that now we do mm-hmm. and so we're not stepping on each other's toes mm-hmm. we're, we're we're all working together we're supporting them they're supporting us because collectively it's going to bring more funding dollars into the mm-hmm. into the area and so that's been a real revelation as part of this whole process
2: do you uh, do you work at all with uh with our friends across the border in Canada at all uh probably not on this project because no not necessarily
3: on this project but we we've sat in on um some of the bridge discussions because we understand like the bridge is a big focal point for economic development and in fact i'm writing a grant application to epa right now that reminds them that we've got a bridge coming in there's Mm -hmm. going to be a lot of commerce going on and Downriver is going to be kind of a gateway to the bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you weave those stories into these funding opportunities right. and, and people sit up and, and, and understand that there's more to it than just what might meet the eye.
2: Have you guys, have you guys written out a timeline? Where do, you, where do you expect to be? Obviously you wanna be somewhere very specific in mm-hmm. three years, mm-hmm. okay. But when you look out five years, 10 years, what do you see? I know that's a difficult Mm -hmm. question but
0: yeah I think mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it's part of our our strategic planning process Mm -hmm. you know I mean we have uh, five key priorities that the communities told us this is what's important to them Mm -hmm. Um, you know it includes uh, quality of place small business and Mm -hmm. large businesses uh, marketing even Um, so there we know what you know what the priorities are Mm -hmm. and and the communities are shaping that as we go along Mm -hmm. so the way that we are actually providing um, I guess traction on our plan is through the creation of subcommittees and subgroups um, mm-hmm. from our, our large strategy plan. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a small business plan that is dedicated just to the cr- the creation of a strategy around helping th- support small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a, a housing priority group that you know we're, we're convening um, this week actually to to see you know how are we going to take this you know statewide and countywide housing plans and mm-hmm. apply them to Downriver. What do we want to see? Um, as far as development and uh, housing rehabilitation goes. Um, and then we also have two other subcommittees, one focused on parks and one focused on arts and culture. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, from that, you can see, you know, what the communities are, are working towards, you know, and, and quality of place really comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, as we said, economic development takes time, um, but if we're, we're the important thing is that we're talking to each other. We're thinking regionally along the corridor, and um, I think you know other areas and other larger partners are starting to take notice. So I think that's only going to bring further investment into Downriver.
2: When when, into, when when projects like this take place, and then you know the departments are developed like yours, okay? Uh, oftentimes, from a really local local level, somebody or somebody's step up and they take and they start to take the lead or anything right. are you okay. seeing any of that uh, or is it too early
3: well i think um certain communities mm-hmm. take more of a lead mm-hmm. certain communities have more robust for instance a brownfield program right now mm-hmm. um others are, are a little more challenged they don't have the capacity so right. we're trying mm-hmm. to fill that capacity mm-hmm. and get the, the word out mm-hmm. i think that for success in the brownfield i think you're, what you're going to see is as we get if we get more funding sources from mm-hmm. groups outside of just the environmental area. Mm-hmm. So if you get MEDC throwing in money, if you get the Department of Treasury throwing in money, if you get the Detroit Regional Partnership throwing in, money, that's gonna be, a, I think, a, a, a measure of success for us because we've, for so long, we've just been clustered in this working from EPA grants, okay, mm-hmm. and those are very narrow assessments, cleanup, and, and again, they're, they're kind of, we have to wait for people to come to us. I think with these other opportunities of, as we get these grants with ecorse creek perhaps and some of the money that we're looking for from the army corps if some of the if that money starts coming in i think that you'll see the success because that's looking at the communities more holistically not mm-hmm. just strictly on an environmental standpoint from the brownfields but we can look at brownfield sites also for climate and resiliency how can we reduce flooding in the neighborhood next door to a brownfield site well maybe the brownfield site could take some of that water somehow out of the basements of the next next door neighbors Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. we're looking for solutions holistically like that and those won't come from necessary epa they might come from semcog or they might Mm -hmm. come from the state of michigan so a a good part of our measure of our success i think is that these other groups are going to really buy into what we're doing
2: interesting very very interesting so uh are you guys enjoying this absolutely oh yeah yeah, i'm having a lot of fun (laughs) yeah Yeah. a good time (laughs) uh, between now and the end of the year what's number one on your hit list jasmine
0: um i think um advancing like I said the small working groups Mm -hmm. so you know we're starting to meet in uh, we've had a couple meetings so far but the small business strategy is really ramping up Mm -hmm. as is the housing group so um, you know continuing to move those forward and hopefully apply for a couple more grants as
2: well what about you John
3: yeah for the Brownfield portion we've got in November uh, work groups meeting from each of the five communities Mm -hmm. with our consultant team um, to really start to develop um, you know what? The, what are their priorities? Confirm what their priorities are. Are they are they valid priorities? Can we you know can we can we do what they're they're asking? Um, and and we're going to start with our initial visioning sessions with the the public. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it uh, between now and the end of the year is kind of the information gathering where we're bringing all that stuff in, and then from there we'll go to priorities of of evaluating. Mm-hmm. You know. Res- plans for different parts of these communities and and, and looking for other funding sources and that sort of thing.
2: Jasmine, if people want more information on your efforts, uh, where's the best place to go?
0: Um, well you can always email us at dccwf.org. so that is our general mailbox and, and we, we monitor that um, so but um, you know our offices are housed mm-hmm. at uh, you know the DCC uh, mm-hmm. in Southgate mm-hmm. so um, we're we're happy to, to meet with you one on one there by by appointment typically is uh just for security reasons that's how, that's how we do it but um, we're also trying to get better at at you know at marketing our, ourselves and our services is here so mm-hmm. we thank you for that opportunity mm-hmm. um, but uh, those are a couple of the best ways to find us I
2: think well fantastic and yeah. we will leave it at that Great. thanks so much to our DCC guest panelists today for spotlighting the progress being made and the plans being laid for a very bright downriver future Great. I'm sure we will catch up again I'm gonna take you up on Please getting do. you guys back yes. here again uh, and uh, we really appreciate you
1: stopping in on this episode of Destination Downriver. Thank you again to our sponsors, Martinson Family of Funeral Homes and Allegra Marketing, with a special thanks to our production partners here at the new Taylor Media Center. Thanks for listening and watching. Please visit our website, DestinationDownriver.com or our Facebook page and be sure to join us for next month's podcast.